Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and today's used vehicle that I want to introduce you to is an SUV that I think is just about perfect for families who need an affordable, reliable, and semi-sporty way to haul a lot of people, a lot of stuff, or both, while doing so safely and securely in all kinds of weather conditions. Now, if you fall into that category, I think you'll like this SUV. Why? Well, for starters, we owned one of these for more than a dozen years and put 156,000 nearly trouble-free miles on it. But the real reason is that my wife loved it. This vehicle is her all-time favorite. Now, even though we have two wonderful boys, a picture of this SUV is the home screen on my wife's mobile phone. Not me, not the kids. It's the SUV. And that's saying something because she's pretty picky when it comes to cars. So what is this SUV that my wife fell in love with, and frankly, I did too? Well, I'll tell you all about it and go over some of the reasons why you might want one in just a moment. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. Back in 2007, our family was in need of a vehicle to safely haul our two boys and all their gear to school, to soccer practice, baseball practice, all the places they need to go. We also needed a reliable vehicle that could handle regular road trips of 500 miles or more to see family on holidays. And being outdoorsy types, we needed a versatile vehicle to haul our camping gear to far-off campsites and trailheads in the summer. Plus, it needed to be snow-capable so we could safely make it to our favorite cross-country ski area near the Canadian border in the wintertime. Now, a lot of our friends at the time had minivans, but my wife and I were not really minivan fans. But we did give it the old college try. We test drove a Honda Odyssey, the Toyota Sienna, and even a semi-sporty Mazda 5. Now, the Mazda handled best, but the four-cylinder engine was underwhelming. And the Toyota Sienna was the only minivan at the time with four-wheel drive as an option, but it was predictably boring, so, you know, we didn't love that one. And the Odyssey, well, it had a great engine and it handled okay, but, you know, it was still a minivan. And that's when we decided to test drive a 2003 Honda Pilot. Now, it took just one drive and my wife fell in love, and so did I. We didn't buy that particular Pilot, but we did end up buying a private party, one owner, 2005 model. It was an EXL model with 20,000 miles. And the EXL is the top of the line Pilot from that year, and it only came with two options. You could get navigation or the rear entertainment system, which is the one that we got. So the first-generation Honda Pilot is an ideal family hauler during the week and an excellent family adventure vehicle on the weekends without the stigma of driving a minivan. But what really sealed the deal for us was the Pilot's VTM4 all-wheel drive system. This all-wheel drive system doesn't make it a Rubicon trail-busting 4x4, but it can get you around safely and securely in the snow during the wintertime, and with a set of dedicated winter tires, the pilot could plow through snow up to several inches deep without issue. In addition to snow capability, with 8 inches of ground clearance, we could easily reach a backwoods trailhead 10 miles down a rutted gravel road with the occasional rock or two to get over or around. It was totally competent for that sort of thing. And if I had to use one word to describe the pilot, it would be versatile. Versatile, versatile, potato, potato. It's a versatile family vehicle that can easily haul multiple people and their gear to most of the places they need or want to go. Now, what about you? Is a first-generation Honda Pilot right for you? Well, ask yourself this. Now, you might want one if 
You routinely need to carry more than four people safely and comfortably. You might want one if you have active kids and need to haul a lot of their stuff or your stuff. You might want one if you need all-wheel drive for snowy conditions. You might want one if you need to tow a boat or a trailer up to 4,500 pounds with the tow package. And you might want one if you need a versatile, reliable, used SUV that can do all that for a reasonable price. Now, if that's you and that fits, this is a good car for you to check out. Now, you might not want one if you want amazing fuel economy for an SUV. These are okay. It's like 15, 16 in the city, 20, 21 on the highway, probably averaging around 17. It's not amazing, but it runs on regular gas, and it's not terrible for an SUV from that era. Now, you might not want one if you want something that drives like a sports car. These have decent handling for an SUV. It's not bad. It drives more like a car than a truck. But it's not a sports car. So if you want that, look elsewhere. Now, you might not want one if you want a small car for city driving and parking. Look, this is a big car. It's not hard to park for a big vehicle, but it's not easy. It's not a Mini Cooper, okay? And finally, you might not want one if you don't need to carry a lot of people or gear. If that's you, then you really don't need one of these things. Get something else. Okay, so if the 2003 through 2008 first-generation Honda Pilot sounds interesting to you, let's go deeper into the details, starting with the drivetrain. So when the first-generation Honda Pilot was launched in 2003, it came with VTM4, or what Honda calls Variable Torque Management Four-Wheel Drive System. This is a system that automatically transfers varying amounts of engine torque to the rear wheels under low traction conditions. Now, VTM4 is basically a front-drive biased four-wheel drive system. It only sends power to the rear wheels when needed, and that happens under acceleration or in slippery conditions, like on snow, ice, uh, rainy days, you know, wet leaves, that sort of thing. You could also push the VTM4 lock button on the dash for added traction in snow and mud, this would lock the rear differential, sending about 25% of the power equally to each rear wheel. Okay, It worked in first or second gear only. It also worked in reverse, and it only worked up to 18 miles per hour. After that, the system would disengage. Now, it's really just to get you going in snow or mud, to get you unstuck, if you will. Now, the 2003 through 2005 models were all equipped with VTM4. So if you get any of those years, you get the four-wheel drive system. The 2006 through 2008 models offered either two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive as an option. So make sure it's four-wheel drive if that's what you're looking to purchase. Personally, I wouldn't get the two-wheel drive version. The fuel savings were minimal. It also had cylinder deactivation, which had some issues, and I just would avoid it. Now, the engine on the first-generation Honda Pilot is a 3.5-liter single-overhead cam 24-valve V6, and it came with Honda's VTEC, or variable valve timing. These are kind of high-revving motors. They like to rev and to make their horsepower. The 2003 models had 240 horsepower and 242 pound-feet of torque. 2005 models got a little bump in horsepower to 255 and 250 pound-feet of torque. And like I said, the 06 and later offered an engine with cylinder deactivation in two-wheel drive models for better fuel economy. Now, the transmission in all these cars was a decent shifting five-speed automatic. I liked the transmission. It was solid. It wasn't as nice as some of the, you know, six, seven, eight-speed and more transmissions of today, but it was solid. It worked well. 
It did have an old school column shift lever that took a little getting used to if you like having the shift lever in a console in the center, but it works fine, so not an issue. Suspension-wise, these all came with four-wheel independent suspension. They had coil springs in the front with struts, and they had a multi-link setup in the rear with coil springs and shocks. Overall, very comfortable on the highway. They cornered flat or relatively flat for an SUV of that era, and I would call the handling decent. It's better than most SUVs from that time frame. It's not as sporty as its fraternal twin, the first-generation Acura MDX. This was the 2001 through 2006 MDX. But still, the Pilot had decent handling, so it handled like a car. Kind of a taller, heavier car, but it wasn't bad, so I can definitely recommend it. In terms of brakes, the car came with four-wheel disc brakes, which is great. ABS was standard, so you had anti-lock. Decent control and stopping distances in normal driving conditions, you know, around town, even regular on the freeway stuff. But I did notice that if you had a full load, if you had your family, all the seats occupied, you had gear in the back, you had a rocket box on top, you had bikes on a bike rack in the back, so the thing's fully loaded. On a long downhill drive down some grade up in the mountains, I would notice that the discs would start to shimmy, start to shake, vibrate a bit. Uh, they'd get a little overwhelmed, and I eventually replaced them with some cryogenically treated rotors and some aftermarket brake pads. I think they were, I want to say Hawk HPS. I don't remember exactly now, but they I definitely upgraded the brake pads. And the cryogenically frozen rotors makes the metal, it, it can handle the heat and it can handle the stress of those downhill runs much better. And I didn't have a problem after that, so I do recommend the cryo-freeze rotor treatment. I'll include a link to the tire rack in the show notes that explains how that whole cryogenic process works for upgrading a set of brake rotors. Okay, when it comes to wheels, the Honda Pilot came stock with 16-inch wheels. They had a 235-70-16 tire that was, that was fine, but I think a good upgrade is to find a set of 17-inch wheels from the first-gen MDX. These bolt right up. They've got the right offset uh, to fit right on your Honda Pilot. And you can use a lower profile 235-65-17 tire. It's going to give you a little bit better handling, a little bit stiffer sidewall. And then you can use the 16s for some winter tires. That's what we did. We put a set of dedicated winter tires on our 16-inch wheels. And that worked out perfectly. And frankly, the Acura wheels looked a little bit better. So that was kind of cool. Now, when it comes to performance and handling, again, I would say the handling is decent in the Pilot, especially for a large-ish SUV that can seat eight people. Again, comfortable on the freeway, provides good steering accuracy, minimal to moderate body roll on twisty back roads. It's no sports car, but it's not a penalty box either. I found that I could make good time over a winding road with a full load, kids, gear, rocket box, bikes hanging off the back, that sort of thing. And in terms of acceleration, with 255 horsepower and 250 pound-feet of torque in our 2005 model, it could easily hit 60 miles per hour somewhere between 7.5 to 8 seconds, which is quick for a 4,400-pound SUV. Now, many SUVs today can accelerate much quicker than the first-generation Pilot, so there's that, but you're going to pay more for that privilege. However, for normal, everyday driving, the Pilot gets up to speed just fine and can cruise at 80 miles an hour for hours on end. Not that you would ever do that, but, you know, you could. So, One thing that I want to note about VSA, or Vehicle Stability Assist, which was available on the 2005 EXL and some of the later model pilots, 
It only works in slippery conditions, but on occasion it can be overly intrusive. So it's nice that you can turn it off with a button on the dash. We had one situation where we were traveling to a trailhead. We were on a gravel road and I was going around corners that were kind of washboard and we just got in the car. We would maybe had it a couple of months. And as I'm going around the corner, the car's sliding just a little bit, but all of a sudden the VSA kicked in. It comes on automatically when you start the car. So to defeat it, you have to push a button on the lower left of the dash. Anyway, I went around the corner and all of a sudden the car starts to slow down. I thought, "Uh oh, what's wrong with the car? Is it broken? Did something happen? Oh, no. My wife's like, is it okay?" I'm like, I think so. Then it started to go again. I didn't notice that the light had come on on the dashboard. Anyway, we kept going, hit another corner. Same thing happened. But the third corner, I realized, oh, it's a vehicle stability assist. So I I found the button, I turned it off, and then it was fine. You could slide a little bit around the corners in the gravel, and it wasn't a problem. But it's something to keep in mind. I left it on most of the time, but there were times when I turned it off in really slick conditions where I wanted to have a little bit of sliding to help with my forward progress. So just keep that in mind. If VSA or Vehicle Stability Assist comes on your Honda Pilot, you can turn it off with a button. So when the Pilot was first introduced, it came with three basic packages. You could get the LX, the EX, or the EXL. Now the base Pilot LX comes pretty well equipped with power windows, power locks, cruise control, keyless entry, and a CD stereo. Remember those? CDs? (laughs) Anyway, um, the more up-level EX adds a power driver's seat, six-disc CD changer with steering-mounted controls and front and rear automatic climate control. And then the premium EXL adds leather, a moonroof, and heated seats. The list of options is short, and there's just a DVD entertainment system for the rear seat passengers or a satellite navigation system, and that was only available on the EXL models. The navigation system, you know, honestly, it had a tiny screen. It kind of looked like an afterthought. It wasn't that great, so I don't necessarily recommend it. And the DVD rear entertainment system, it didn't have a big screen either. Kind of a flip-down 7-inch screen. And third-row passengers had a hard time seeing it. But, you know, honestly, it still kept the kids entertained, so it worked just fine. I would definitely try to get the EXL model because the prices between all of them seem to be about the same. So uh, why not get the EXL? Why not get as many features as possible? It's nice to have heated seats. Okay, interior. Comfortable front bucket seats, uh, whether it's cloth or leather. Um, Seat heating again in front on the more upscale EXL model. Leather only on EXL. Again, I recommend that. Lots of storage spaces and cup holders. I think there's like kind of like one or two for each seat. It's crazy. 2003 to 2005 pilots have front and side airbags for the front row. And then the later 2006 through 2008 pilot also have side curtain airbags for all the seats. So that's kind of a nice upgrade. You might consider that. Uh, Plastics in the car are easy to clean, but they're hard. They're not as premium as, say, what came in the Acura MDX. But they're, you know, it's okay. It's, you know, for a family vehicle, it's totally serviceable. The middle seat on our 1995 EXL was adjustable, and I'm talking about the entire bench. You could move that forward or back to give more legroom to people behind you, and I think it actually split, if I remember correctly. But that was kind of a nice feature, and the seat backs would also recline a little bit. You had to reach around behind and kind of pull it up, and they could notch back up an angle or two for a little bit more comfort for people sitting in the middle. In terms of the Exterior. Now, some people say the styling of the first generation pilot is a little bit boring, 
But, you know, my wife and I liked it. We, we were okay with the look of the vehicle. We thought it looked good. Also, not a minivan, so extra points for that. Uh, headlight output on the 2003 to 2005 models is just okay. I want to mention that because we upgraded our halogen bulbs in the headlights. And those bulb upgrades, those they were like Sylvania extras or something like that. They weren't super bright, but they were a little bit brighter. But honestly, they'd last like three, four months, and then they'd burn out. So we were constantly replacing those once we did the upgrade. So I ended up going back to the stock, whatever came from Honda, the basic bulb. And those would last like a year or so. Not my favorite headlight on those cars, but, you know, extra points for the fact that you could get access to the back of the light to change the bulb. So that was good. Now, the 2006 through 2008 models had projector beam halogen headlamps. Now, they weren't HIDs. They weren't xenon headlamps, but they were better headlamps from the factory. And you also got fog lights. So that was nice for the extra light output. I would probably opt to go that route if I was getting another pilot today. Our particular pilot came with roof rails and crossbars. Now, not all of the pilots come with crossbars, so look for that when you make a purchase. You're going to want that if you want to put a rocket box on top. And a towing package with hitch was available with the pilot. So if you need to tow, I think the rating was up to 4,500 pounds, then you're going to need that. And that only came from the factory. Now, you could add some of the pieces later, like we added a trailer hitch later. Technically, our car wasn't a tow package car, but I was just using the hitch for a bike rack. And occasionally I'd tow a utility trailer to the dump or something, but I wasn't carrying anything heavy. So putting a hitch on for that is just fine. Okay, so what do you look for when you're looking for a first-gen Honda Pilot? Well, you want to look for the typical used car things, you know, minimal owners, preferably one or two. You want to find out if it's ever been in an accident. Try to avoid that. There's a lot of Honda Pilots for sale. You don't have to buy one that's been in an accident. Ask, does it have a salvage or rebuilt title? You don't really want that. Did the pilot have regular service? Does the owner have service records? Are there any check engine lights on, right? Uh, Check engine lights, um, you can check that with a scanner. So if you have an OBD2 scanner and you can pick one up for like 30 bucks, 40 bucks from local auto parts store, bring that with you and check for codes just to make sure that there's no issues with the car. You're also going to want to look for deferred maintenance. These cars need a timing belt at 105,000 miles. You know, brakes wear out, tires wear out. Needs to have transmission fluid change on a regular basis, coolant change, etc. You want to make sure that all that's been done and that you're not staring at some big service. Like it's right at uh, 102,000 miles and it needs a timing belt. Come on. You don't want to spend that money because if you pay, you know, six, $7,000 for it, then you have to dump another 1500 into it. It's, that's expensive. So make sure that you're not sitting on some deferred maintenance time bomb. Also, you want to check to make sure the electric and mechanical items work. You know, check the wipers, the AC, the heater, the fan, all of those things in the car. Just, you know, take some time to go through all of that as you're checking the car out. Also, is it rusty? Personally, I avoid rusty cars. I don't I don't like rust. Some of you in the Midwest might look at rust and say, eh, you know, a little rust here, a little rust there. I don't really care, especially on a car that's, you know, 5000 bucks, 6000 bucks. You could put up with a little rust, and if you can look beyond that, fine. It's not something that I would do. I would look for the next car, especially here in the Pacific Northwest. We have a lot of opportunity to buy cars that aren't rusty, right? Um, you also want to check and make sure it doesn't need any paint or bodywork. Paint and bodywork is a lot more expensive than you think. It can add a lot to the cost of the car. So if it needs it, just avoid it. There's another, quote, train that'll come along in 10 minutes. Another Honda Pilot you're going to find in 10 minutes. So don't buy the first one you see if it needs work. 
But ultimately, all of this comes down to condition. So condition is more important than anything else on a used vehicle. All right. Now, what would I look for? Well, I would go for an upscale model. I would go for an EX or an EXL for more features. I mean, the prices between the bottom line LX and the top of the line EXL don't seem to vary that much. So you might as well get more for your money. Now, also be sure to get the VTM4 system, the all-wheel drive system. Again, all 2003 to 2005 Honda Pilots had VTM4, but the later 06 through 08 Pilots came with either two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive. If you want VTM4, choose wisely. Make sure that that 2006 through 2008 car actually has it. Okay? And finally, the two-wheel drive models from 2006 to 2008, again, had that cylinder deactivation on their six-cylinder engines, and that was designed to improve fuel economy. It would shut down like half the cylinders while you were driving it. But again, the system was glitchy. It had issues. So, you know, just avoid it. Just get the four-wheel drive VTM4 version, and you're good. Now, common issues you're going to have with these cars... These are pretty reliable vehicles and don't have a lot of issues other than what's kind of typical for any high mileage SUV. Now, some specific things. So, for example, there was a Takata airbag recall. You want to make sure that's been taken care of. Either the igniter or the bag itself uh, needs to be replaced. I think it's on the driver's side, but double check. It might. I think maybe it's both sides, but you want to make sure that's done. Brakes, again, on these are kind of weak. I mentioned that cryo-treated rotor thing earlier. Uh, power steering pumps will eventually go out on these. Mine did. I had to replace it myself. wasn't that tough, but, uh, you know, if it goes, it's going to cost you a little bit of money, at least for the pump or the pump plus labor to do it. Transmissions in early pilots. A lot of people say that 2003s have an issue. We didn't have any issue on our 2005. It was fine through the 176,000 miles that were on the odometer when it was sadly totaled. We changed the transmission fluid on a regular basis, so that worked fine. No issue from ours. But my understanding is some of the early cars did have an issue, so have that checked. Uh, we had to replace our radiator around 100,000 miles, and that apparently is a common problem on these. Again, I mentioned timing belt change at 105,000. We did that once. We never got to the second one. Lower control arms in the suspension up in the front. Those will wear out. There's kind of a big rubber donut inside the control arm that eventually gets dry, cracks over time. A little bit of cracking, not a big deal, but when it starts to break loose from the surrounding metal and it gets really big cracks in it, it's time to go. You're going to have kind of a sloppy feeling front end, so make sure you check that out. Also check the shocks and other suspension components, too, if it's got more than 100,000 miles, and most of the ones you look at will have that. Now, many cars have had their suspensions upgraded, updated, but you want to check. And finally, there's a thing called an air blend actuator that can fail. And this is in the HVAC or heating, ventilation, and air conditioning controls. Ours failed, and it made this kind of weird clicking sound. And <laughs> you turn the heat on, either you had like full hot or you turn the air conditioning on and you had full cold. You couldn't like blend it. You couldn't be in between. That happened around 170,000 miles, and, you know, again, the car was totaled before I fixed it, so I guess I'm happy that I didn't fix it and then have the car totaled, right? Okay, but those are some of the things that, that I would look for. And again, just the regular used car stuff. You want to just check over the car, and if you're not sure, go have it checked out by a mechanic. Do a pre-purchase inspection. Have them check everything over so you get a sense of what the car needs, okay? Now, in terms of pricing for the first-generation Honda Pilot, 
Um, I'm going to give you three ranges here, and they're kind of wide, and you're going to go, eh, okay, but this is what I keep seeing again and again and again. Starting out between like four and 5,000, maybe four to 6,000, there's a lot of Honda Pilots in that range, but they all tend to have really high miles, you know, 160, 180, 200,000, 220,000. They got a lot of miles on them, but that's because people like me bought the car. We loved it. We used it for our family adventures and we drove it a lot, you know, lots of miles on trips to, we went to Utah, we went to Idaho, we went to California, we went all over the place. We drove it a lot. So we put a lot of miles on it. That doesn't mean that they're bad. And as long as they're maintained, you should be okay, but you want to check it out closely. So four to 6,000 in that first group. Now, good solid buys are going to be between 6,000 and 8,000. And when I talk about these price ranges, I'm really talking about private party sales. I'm talking about owners who are selling their cars. I'm not talking about dealers. Dealers are going to charge you more. It doesn't mean you can't get a good deal from a dealer. It just means you're going to pay more money, typically, for the same level or same condition of car. So back to the private party pricing, uh, 6000 to 8000 is going to be a good, solid buy. You're going to find really good cars in this price range. For example, there's an ad up today as I'm looking. It's for a 2005 Honda EX. This is the not leather, but has you know, a lot of nice features. 110,000 miles, and they're asking $5,950. Now, that's actually on the low end. That's a really nice car for the money. And it looks like it's got new tires. Here's the holdback. It's gold. That's the color. Now, we were looking to replace our Honda Pilot. And we looked at a gold Honda Pilot. I showed it to my wife. And she's like, I could never drive a gold car. <laughs> I'm like, really? Why not? She goes, I just hate it. I won't drive gold. I'm like, yeah, okay. And I actually found like three nice condition gold Honda Pilots that just didn't sell. So if you want a deal, get a gold one. Apparently nobody wants them. I was fine with it. It's not my favorite color. It's kind of meh. It looks like AARP gold. Not that exciting. But, you know, hey. For the money, that was a good deal. But anyway, in that six to $8,000 price range, most of the vehicles are going to be anywhere from 100 to 150,000 miles. Uh, they're going to be in decent condition. You know, they're going to have records. They're going to be one or two owners. They're going to be nice, okay? But the best for sale by owner vehicles are going to be between eight to $10,000. These are going to be one owner, low miles. Low miles might be maybe 100, maybe a little bit less, maybe 110 Recent maintenance, all the good stuff, doesn't need anything, won't need tires, won't need brakes, won't need any of that stuff. So, eight to ten grand. Now, if you want to pay more, you certainly can. The most expensive one that I found was for $13,000. It was a 2007 gray, it was a one owner, EXL, had the rear DVD entertainment system, 115,000 miles. It was nice, but it was spendy, and it was spendy because it was from a dealer. Now, they know what they have. This thing checked out on the Carfax. It didn't have any accidents. It's a really nice car, but this is a car that you could find from the owner if they had it up for sale for, you know, again, between eight to 10000 This might be closer to ten from a original owner if they put it up for sale on, like, Craigslist or something. But once a dealer gets a hold of it, then, you know, now the price pops to 13000 Why? Eh, because it's on a dealer lot. You're not really getting any more for the money. 
So if you can be patient, if you can shop a little bit and not get too anxious, then you can save yourself $2,000, $3,000, $4,000. Or if you're in a big hurry, if you don't want to look, you know, you're going to go to a dealership and pay twelve, thirteen thousand $13,000 for the best ones. That's just up to you. It's not expensive, but at $13,000, you have other choices too. So consider that. But those three price ranges are really what you're going to pay for a private party Honda Pilot first generation. So shop wisely and you'll get yourself a good deal. Okay, so if you have an active family and you need an inexpensive used SUV that can haul you, your kids, and all your gear to adventures far and wide in all types of weather conditions, then the 2003 to 2008 first-generation Honda Pilot should be on your list of vehicles to test drive. Now, our 2005 model was great, and based on our 12 years and 155,000 miles of driving, I can honestly say it was the best family vehicle we ever owned. Now, like any used vehicle, they're not perfect, so shop wisely for your Honda Pilot, but I have no regrets recommending one of these for the value and capability they can deliver as long as you buy one in good condition. And with that, thanks for listening to this week's episode, and be sure to join me next time to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. Until then, I'm Gary Crenshaw, this is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride.